The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and enjoying this uh, first uh, week of December. Uh, We have a very interesting show today um, and we're going to be talking about um, alcohol we're going to talk about its history, the pharmacology of alcohol and treatment with Mark Edmund Rose, who has a master's degree in clinical psychology. And let me introduce uh, Mark by telling you, you all something about him. He's been an addiction professional for the past 17 years. He's been involved in a diverse scientific forensic and publication endeavors, including authoring scientific papers and um psychiatry and addiction journals, researching and writing courses for physician audiences, testifying in criminal trials as a court-validated expert witness in addiction. That must be really interesting. Providing expert opinion to attorneys, conducting research on the effects of cocaine use on the human brain, and helping and on the helping activities of sponsors and Alcoholics Anonymous, writing books on prescription opiates and alcoholism as a licensed psychologist for 16 years. Mark Rose has performed psychological intellectual and chemical dependency and disability evaluations on the clientele of criminal defense, disability, and personal injury attorneys. He's also worked as a medical writer with pharmaceutical and medical device industries and with organizations providing continuing medical education to physicians. Mark, um, I don't think you have any spare time, but welcome taking <laughs> and for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. Um, you know, it's really interesting um, that uh, alcohol is something that you are um, writing about because I think of all the substances, it's, the, it's certainly the one that has the most social acceptance, but um, it's in many ways the one that we least, that most people know the least amount about. Right. There's certainly uh, every few years sort of, you know, it seems that there's a new drug that is getting a lot of you know, bad publicity, <laughs> um, you know, rightfully so, um, whether it be methamphetamine or crack cocaine. And, and, you know, these substances are certainly harmful and create quite a, uh, um, a fair amount of, of harm both on the individual and societal level, but alcohol really is is uh, in terms of the societal impact. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's above and beyond. Um, you know, basically all the um, illicit drugs put together, but it's also the socially acceptable drug, and there is a very very long history of of social alcohol use, 
uh, going back thousands of years. So um, there's a, a level of comfort surrounding alcohol. Maybe you could share with our audience some of that history of alcohol use. Well, in the in the United States, uh, there apparently was quite a, a a rampant alcohol problem in the colonial era, and this would be in the 1780s, 1790s. Um, up until about 1820, 1830, uh, and on one hand, intoxication was condoned, but public intoxication was frowned upon, and so there was this almost a double standard of sorts of, well, you can drink until you are grossly impaired as long as we don't see you do it outside of uh, of your home or the tavern. And so um, uh, and there at the same time there was a uh, there was a movement not so much a movement but there started to appear the beginnings of of pure run, um, you know, self-help, as it were, organizations, uh, some of which were modeled after, uh, you know, um, Native American spirituality. Uh, And then, of course, as we get into the 1830s, there was a much more yeah, broader and systematic approach to uh, attempting to intervene on alcoholism. Uh, and by the 1850s, 60s, 70s, uh, there were, uh, you know, there, there were some very sophisticated uh, attempts um, and uh, at treatment, at intervention, at at, for, at, you know, trying to further the understanding of of alcoholism and alcoholics. Um, in fact, a lot of the currently used, uh, you know, concepts of alcoholism um, that it, you know it's inherited to some degree. There's loss of control. Um, you know, a lot of these core uh, understandings actually date all the way back to the 1850s and 60s and 70s. I think it's important to understand, too, is that alcohol in um, olden days served a variety of purposes. Not only was it social, but um, I I live in New Hampshire, so we get a lot about the um, Puritans. That coming, And one of the things that I, I learned when I went to Plymouth was that they drank a type of beer coming over on the Mayflower because the water was contaminated. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that oftentimes they would let, um, you know, uh, well, they they would either make beer or let uh, fruit ferment because they could, um, it would kind of cut whatever bacteria was in the water so that Mm. it was also used as kind of a, I don't know, a way to prevent um, 
you know, any type of illness from bad water. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. so, I mean, alcohol has also certainly been used as an anesthetic. Um, it was one of our first anesthetics, and um, that's not a very good one, but if you drink enough of it, um, you know, they certainly used it in the Civil War as an anesthetic when they were doing amputations or when they were doing surgery. Um, it's had a variety of uses throughout history. Exactly. Um, right. There, there, there have been, you know, medicinal uses of it, um, you know, public health disease contain, you know, prevention purposes like you mentioned, um, you know, um, yeah, it, it's, it's had a variety of uses. Um, in addition to the social use that we're all acquainted with. I think it was um, Dr. Benjamin Rush who first kind of coined the concept of alcoholism, and that must have been like in the 1780s. I remember that from nursing school. So um, I think he was the first person to look at this as an illness, or at least to to write about it as an illness, and not just... uh, uh, somebody who has weak character. Exactly. And he was a very, uh, you know, groundbreaking physician. He, uh, you know, he really helped to further uh, the acceptance or, you know, introduce the, the idea that that this is really, you know, not a moral failing, but... Um, um, a disease process that's going on here, um, and uh, and that and that the treatment of of the alcoholic should be therefore one of compassion and not one of punishment. Uh, so yeah, he you're so right. He was uh, very very instrumental in. Uh, ex, you know, introducing the idea of uh, that this is a disease and um, what we need is to find compassionate treatment for it. Right. And as you were mentioning the Native Americans, I think they were, uh, the Native Americans were probably the first folks um, to really have any type of mutual help group that we know of in America, and that was back in the 1700s, as you were saying. And I think that's really significant because we often think that the first attempt at self-help or mutual help was Alcoholics Anonymous, but really there are many um, groups that, that tried it before AA tried and succeeded. Exactly, exactly. Throughout the you know, the latter part of the, of the 1700s of the Native Americans and then off and on throughout the 1800s, there were uh, a succession of, at times, wildly popular and uh, very, very, you know, um, prominent organizations that were uh, self-help, um, and essentially a lot of them failed to survive because, well, for various reasons, some, some of them, the, you know, there were identifiable leaders and the leaders got, 
uh, into trouble somehow, um, and then the, the movement sort of disintegrated. Um, and Alcoholics Anonymous studied how these groups came about and then fell apart and tried to uh, structure their organization in a way to prevent that from happening. Um, but yeah, that's that's very true. Throughout uh, the 1800s, uh, there were quite a few very prominent ones, including I think the Washingtonians was a, a really big one. Um, There's still a Washingtonian remember. hospital in Boston. At least that's what it's called. It's it's not a hospital for addiction anymore. But in the 70s, they were still treating people there for addiction. I think it's evolved into something else. But sure, exactly. Yeah. And it, as a source, um, all the way back. Yeah, I, I know in like studying the temperance movement, because the temperance movement was very uh, closely aligned to the women's rights movement. And, and during the temperance times, they were really focused on distilled spirits like gin and whiskey and rum. But beer and wine didn't seem to, I don't think they really characterized that as alcohol, did they? Or it wasn't socially as significant? Um, you're that is correct. Yeah, there there were it was a sort of a multi-tiered um, view of well, okay, this alcoholic beverages in this category, we have to really, um, you know, shut down and prohibit and discourage. But then, you know, these ones that were here, well, these are okay. Uh, which we've really kind of carried on into today. And we'll talk more about this with Mark Rose after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And our uh, show today, we're talking about alcohol, and we've been talking about its history. We're going to talk about the pharmacology and treatment of um, alcoholism. And our guest is Mark Edmund Rose, who is a clinical psychologist and who has done extensive uh, writing and um, treatment of folks with alcoholism and addictive disorders over the last 17 years. And before going to break, we were kind of we weren't kind of, we were talking about the fact that um, during the temperance movement in the 1800s and the early 1900s, um, spirits, which were considered to be whiskey, rum, gin, um, were considered to be the alcohol of which caused all the social ills and problems, and that and that beer and wine were, were really not in that category. Um, so that whole kind of line of thinking has been kind of passed down from generation to generation because even today, um, I've certainly intaked people who say, well, I can't be an alcoholic because I only drink beer or I only drink wine. And and that notion has been, it's just intergenerational. Exactly. And it's a, what, what we now know is that the, the liability of addiction really doesn't reside as much in the substance as it does in the within the individual, and it's. I mean, to be sure, people will become much more intoxicated, you know, much more rapidly when they ingest hard liquor uh, as opposed to beer, but. Um, it, it's really the issue of, you know, the individual and their response to alcohol rather than the beverage itself. And uh, that is the basis of um, the development of addiction. And uh, what, we, what we know about people... You know, well, first of all, I, I, you know, the research shows that, uh, you know, not everyone who is a, you know, a heavy, a, you know, you can you can have someone who is a fairly heavy drinker, but they won't cross over into becoming an addictive drinker, and there are a couple of cardinal traits of addiction uh, to alcohol that uh, distinguish the alcoholic with, you know, or rather from the, uh, the person who perhaps drinks excessively on occasion but has not, be, you know, become an addictive drinker. And, um, you know, a couple of these cardinal traits include the loss of control, and what that means is that the person will set out to drink perhaps 
one drink or two drinks and ends up drinking until they pass out or until they run out of money. Um, the inability to quit drinking or to cut down on their own. Um, uh, you know, th- these are very big ones. Um, the persistence in drinking despite consequences that are, you know, unambiguously related to their alcohol consumption. And these can include, uh, DWIs, uh, other criminal offenses, uh, medical problems, uh, job loss, or uh, termination, relationship problems, breakups, divorces, uh, loss of child custody, things of that nature. Um, and then, of course, you, you, a, a lot of people who have become addictive drinkers when they uh, you know, if they're able to stop drinking, they become very distressed, uh, and this can be physically as well as psychically, and they will experience a, likely a, a fairly intense level of craving where they, it, it's as if they're gr- gripped with this physical drive to to seek alcohol and ingest it and um, uh, and that so these, these are you know together these are the um, the symptoms as it were that that separate the addictive drinker from the non-addictive drinker and because um, you know there there isn't really a any kind of a, um, a blood test or any any kind of um, you know physical test that that you can take that will tell you that you're an alcoholic that it's it's diagnosed behaviorally um, and, uh, and you know and with the the previously mentioned um, uh, symptoms um, we also know that. Uh, certain people, well, for one thing, you know, they say that alcoholism is sort of, uh, it doesn't know any race or class distinction. I mean, it's kind of the, the equal opportunity affliction, and that is very true. I mean, there, there really are no demographic or ethnic subgroups that are Spared, uh, spared it. Um, however, we we do know that certain people are at greater risk for developing alcoholism. And um, for instance, being male puts you at uh, at twice the risk, of approximately uh, compared with being female. Um, Native Americans have a higher risk than Hispanics and whites. Um, and uh, uh, another example are people who have never been married. They have higher risk than those who have been divorced or people that are currently married. 
veterans exposed to combat, um, and, and that ties in with uh, post-traumatic stress and the you know, the exposure to violence and uh, the you know, durable effects that that has on uh, on the psyche and um, and brain function. Um, people diagnosed with major depression and anxiety disorders and uh, schizophrenia also have higher rates. Um, we also know that alcoholism is roughly 50% attributable to genetic factors and the rest are uh, environmental factors and what can happen, it's a really complex uh, situation, but, you know, in terms of the genetic heritability, but some people, for instance, will have uh, an exaggerated euphoric response when they drink, and um, it's believed that that genetic variations in dopamine or serotonin function in the brain uh, can contribute to this this intense feeling of well-being above and beyond what an average person will experience. Um, similarly, some people will drink and get a, a really intense, you know, reduction in their stress level, um, and so that can be highly reinforcing and compelling and uh, make it more likely that that uh, the person continues in their drinking than people who don't have that, uh, you know, sensation when they drink. Um and then early in, you know, getting back to the other contributors, which are environment, um, what that means is that uh, certain conditions, a lot of which, uh, you know, occur in the in the family life early on, and uh, and you know, interpersonally, can set a person up to be at greater risk for alcoholism, and some of those can include a, um, you know, history of sexual abuse or physical abuse, uh, parental abandonment, um, or a, just a chronically chaotic, unstable home life. You know, perhaps one parent is mentally ill or or alcoholic or or both parents are uh, mentally ill and alcoholic or want, have a personality disorder or, or whatever whatever it happens to be. And then, um, excuse me, um, some personality traits, extroversion is a place people at high risk too. Uh, we're, we find we're learning a lot more that is above and beyond, you know, the actual beverage itself, which is the old way of thinking is risk factor. Right. If alcohol caused alcoholism, then a lot more people would have it. 
Um, and we'll be right back to talk more with Mark Rose about alcohol, its history, pharmacology, and treatment after this next commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our guest is Mark Rose, and we're talking about alcohol, its history, pharmacology, and treatment. Um, I, I think you, I remembered something as you were speaking in our last segment, is, is that when I first got into this profession, one of the myths that um, that I think that I kind of incorporated into my thinking for a long time was that people of Asian descent were somehow protected by becoming alcoholic. And um, probably about, I don't know, 15 years ago at the mental health center I was working at, there was a, a physician from Japan that came over, and I, and I said to him, well, you know, this is what we learned, you know, uh, a few years ago. And he said, that's totally incorrect, that there is just as high a rate of alcoholism in Japan as there is in um, Western countries. And, and I think that we used to think that certain European um, groups were somehow protected um, because they they drank they they learned to drink within the family and um, and I don't think that's true either. Did you come across any of those myths when you were doing your research? Well, it's interesting. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, you know, going back, I don't know how many decades, uh, people started to question whether the assumption of of uh, you know people from Asia having a relative immunity to alcoholism was was valid or not because people looked at um, you know Native Americans who collectively have you know high you know, fairly high rates of it and um, 
Well, there's uh, again, it's it's complex, and there's a lot of socio-cultural factors that have contributed to the high rate among Native Americans. But also, Native Americans migrated from Central Asia and not Southeast Asia, um, so they're somewhat uh, distinct in terms of um, uh, ethnicity and uh, and possibly genetics. But there 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 are a subgroup of of people, uh, predominantly of Asian descent, who have a genetic variation in their liver involving the uh, the enzyme that breaks down alcohol and what this causes uh, what this causes is a, a kind of an unpleasant response to drinking because the primary breakdown product uh, acetaldehyde is not further metabolized into acetic acid and eliminated from the body. It just kind of stays in the body longer, and people get a flushing, kind of an unpleasant flushing, tingling um, response when when they drink if they have this. And so Asians are more likely to have this, but in aggregate, I... Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't find that the countries in Southeast Asia had just dramatically lower rates of alcoholism than uh, the European countries, uh, which seem to have the higher rates. And uh, so, yeah, that 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 certainly is one misconception. Well, and the reaction that you're describing is very similar to the reaction someone. Uh, gets when they take anabuse or disulfiram and they drink. Exactly. It's the same. It, it, it's almost, uh, you know, pharmacologically the identical process in that uh, anabuse blocks the breakdown of acetaldehyde, which is the primary breakdown product of alcohol. And... <clears throat> And so it's it's almost an identical process. Yeah, absolutely. Can you speak a little to the pharmacology of alcohol? Right. Well, uh, alcohol is a big, pharmacologically very, very complex. Uh, the number of brain transmitter systems that it targets are is vast, um, and we're able to, you know, basically, to some degree of accuracy, pinpoint the brain regions that are responsible for, you know, the symptoms or, you know, the 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 effects of alcohol. Uh, for instance, the euphoria and the um, you know the the the, the short term um, euphoria and mood. You know maybe a bump in your bump in your mood and the, the buoyancy and 
and all that is is due to the um, you know the activation of dopamine in a uh, there's kind of a, a circuitry in the brain uh, that has a high density of of dopamine receptors, and when this is activated, it releases more of this brain chemical, and um, uh, and there's also uh, um, opi- you know, endogenous opioid receptors that are stimulated, and they release endogenous opioids, and these are the same receptors that are activated when people use drugs like heroin or morphine, um, although they're, it's, at, it's at a much lower level with alcohol, but nonetheless, um, these two are activated and contribute to the, um, you know, the reinforcing effect. Um, and I, I should also add that uh, you know, a lot of people have a pleasurable effect when they drink, but it's really just a minority of these people who have a, a you know, uh, an effect that is really pronounced and then have a, a compulsion, you know, a drive to recapture that initial effect excessively with, um, you know, with, with frequent drinking. Um, <clears throat> the, you know, so a lot of people find it enjoyable, but it's only a small number, relatively speaking, a small percentage of people that will chase the, the, the feeling they get, um, you know, keep chasing it, um, you know, uh, in the case of consequences and whatnot. Um, so, um, and there's also been a lot of recent research that's helped to identify uh, the process that occurs as a person who is predisposed to alcoholism uh, as they move from social drinking to you know, problem drinking, heavy drinking, into the early stages of alcoholism, and into chronic alcoholism. Um, and what we're also finding is that some of these, you know, really, really profound changes in brain function and brain structure, some of them persist into abstinence. Um, you know, for years, and uh, and account for the vulnerability to relapse in in alcoholics that are in recovery, even those who've been in recovery and sober for a number of years. But the 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 understanding of you know how alcohol affects the brain, what you know what transmitter systems are, are involved in creating, you know, the, the rewarding and the reinforcing effects and the compulsion to keep 
drinking, uh, this, this information is being used with, uh, with some really good results in informing, uh, uh, you know, treatment, uh, pharmacological treatment. And there, you know, there are a couple of, of drugs right now that are, uh, you know, marketed in the U.S. that are approved by the FDA as anti, uh, anti-craving drugs. Um, and there are other drugs that are used off-label. And what I mean by off-label is that they're not approved by the FDA for the purpose, but they're, um, they're, you know, they've, they've been found to be pretty successful in clinical trials. And, um, I should also say that drugs that are used to help treat alcoholism are never used as the sole treatment. I mean, there's almost a universal understanding that medication therapy is only one component uh, and that, I mean, not everyone needs it, um, but for those who need it, it is certainly not used as a standalone treatment for alcoholism. Um, what what has been shown to be the most effective treatment for alcoholism? Well, basically, the, the you know, because alcoholism, alcoholism uh, you know, is there's a lot of variability in terms of the complexity of the the problem, the severity of the addiction, you know, among people who show up for treatment. And what seems to be the best approach um, is a, you know, a 12-step-based approach and then whatever other services that the patient needs should be added on to that psychological, psychiatric Counseling therapy, etc. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk um, with Mark more about treatment of alcoholism and uh, other things related to alcohol. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Mark Rose, and we're talking about alcohol, its history, pharmacology, and treatment. And we were talking about effective treatments for alcoholism, or I guess we should clarify and say alcohol dependence versus alcohol abuse or misuse. And um, I think you brought up something that I think is uh, one of those discussions that we have in this profession a lot, is that is, is self-help or Alcoholics Anonymous um, treatment. And, you know, I think early on when I first started working in this profession, um, you know, going to Alcoholics Anonymous was standard, uh, was a standard intervention for everybody who came into our treatment center. And I think as we've learned over the years is that there's many ways to get, there's many ways to get sober. There's many ways to get into recovery. And that um, one of the one of the difficulties with researching AA is the fact that it is an, an anonymous program and it hasn't really been open to the same type of research that cognitive behavioral therapy has had or motivational interviewing or um, other types of uh, behavioral or cognitive interventions and um, like contingency management or whatnot. So, you know, I think that this whole... Um, idea of of self-help is certainly really important and most people who get into some type of self-help statistically do better in terms of their recovery. They have longer rates of sobriety. So um, when we're talking about effective treatment, there's really no wrong door to treatment, is there? Uh, That is correct. The, The, you know, the most, well, uh, on a real basic level, um, the approach should be a total abstinence approach. Um, in the 1970s, there were uh, a couple. There, were, there were some researchers who claimed to be having success in teaching alcoholics how to drink moderately, and. There, were, there was quite a buzz attended around surrounding the results of this research and then longer-term follow-up of these patients showed that, um, that none of the early positive results were durable over time. And for, just for a variety of reasons, what, what we now know about uh, the effects on the brain and re- relapse risk and and uh, abstinence is really the only realistic way. Um, and getting back to your your intro, uh, you know, really up until about ten years ago, there remained a a fair amount of skepticism surrounding the effectiveness of AA because the body of research was really not that rigorous and somewhat equivocal in terms of of the of the outcomes. But the funny thing is that just 
literally, and, and I spent a lot of time just coming, coming through every study out there. Um, just in the last five years, five, six, seven, eight years, there's been an explosion of a published research on AA um, that has really unequivocally shown that AA is uh, is highly effective, um, and so now um, one of the shifts in research focus has been okay. Well, we know that it's really helpful for people who remain engaged, but there is a high dropout rate early on. And how do we, how do we, you know, intervene on that? Um, but like you said, also, there are a lot of pathways out of addiction, out of alcoholism. Many people spontaneously remit without any professional intervention at all, um, especially true with people in their 20s uh, who will, you know, have a lot of heavy drinking and then when they either get married or get a, a professional level job, they will sort of find a way to mature out of their alcohol problem. Um, a lot of people have, you know, throughout his, history really, have found, or you know, organized religion as a pathway out of, out of their alcoholism or drug addiction. Uh, so lots of different pathways out of it, lots of different approaches. Psychological therapies can be very, very helpful. Um, uh, you know, um, both as standalone as an as and as adjunct. Um, so, yeah, as long as it's absence based, <laughs> it uh, you know, it, 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 there's going to be some degree of of helpfulness. Um, but because the, the, and a, another important thing though is that. Um, we now know that alcoholism should be approached as if it were a chronic illness, which it is, in fact, uh, it in, in fact is a chronic illness. And so the idea is to have a kind of a long-term, low-level, low-intensity, um, you know, management and self-care. And that can include Alcoholics Anonymous meetings or other self-help or support. Um, so it's important to get the idea that, well, um, going away to a treatment center for 28 days and then coming back to where you were before, you know, is in a lot of cases not going to work. And there's the misperception of, you know, Cure that's possible when when um, alcoholism is approached that way, and, and that doesn't. Well, really I, yeah, and I think you know when you're talking about this being a chronic illness, um, going away for 28 days is an acute intervention. 
exactly. When you have a chronic illness, you need ongoing, as you said, ongoing um, care or support. So um, I think that oftentimes people want to treat alcoholism like appendicitis, you know, you know, go take care of it and then come back and you're going to be okay. And, you know, the other thing that I think is really important because this is a chronic illness, that drinking if you're in treatment and you drink, that's a sign of your, it's a symptom of your illness. And it means you need treatment. It doesn't mean you should be discharged from treatment. Right, exactly. And that's a, there's some degree of, as you can imagine, controversy surrounding that. Um, and, uh, you know, in the past, there's been a very hard line approach to that. Um, but people, you know, I think a lot of um, treatment centers are now, you know, considering that as well. It's 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 it's, it's happening because they're addicted, and um, uh, and and we shouldn't throw them out on the street, um, you know, unless their behavior is really disruptive. Um, Sometimes people are put in a detox unit um, or in a, in a detox facility for a few days and then readmitted, and um, and and that's certainly a, a valid approach um, rather than just terminating their stay on the on the spot. Um, so yeah, that's a very good very good point to bring up. Mark, how can people get a hold of you, or how can they get your book? It's available through Hazelden. Uh, Hazelden has a website. It's also available on Amazon.com. And as far as I know, those are the major points of distribution it, you know, because the book just just went on sale, the, um, uh, I, I'm not sure what the distribution company they made um, other retail accounts yet, but those are the two primary ones. And how can work. people get a hold of you if they want to learn more or they want to have a discussion with you? Absolutely, yes. Mike, yeah. My contact info is in the book. Okay. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today. And uh, I think, you know, history is always fascinating. So um, I guess the more we know about the history of something, the better prepared we are to uh, deal with it in the present. Yeah, very good point. Um, and it, it's a cyclical process, and we we need to learn from history and uh, so that we don't repeat the things that went wrong and we benefit from things that went right. So absolutely correct. Thank you so much for being a guest today and have a great week, everyone. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.